Yeah, no, the cat has been getting spooked about stuff the last couple of days. I don't know, like, what's going on with him, but he just keeps, like, getting on my lap, and then, like, I do something wrong, or he gets scared of nothing, and he just scratches the shit out of me, which is not like him. He's not normally like that. <sighs> hmm. Tazi will just um, walk straight up to me if she wants attention, and then she'll just dig her claws straight into my leg. Lovely. Yeah, no, it's it's great. Great cat. I remember when I went to the pet store to adopt her. Like, I pet her, and then after, like, two seconds, she'd just start biting my hand. Mm-hmm. And I remember my literal, like, first words to the people were like, oh, she's good, but she seems a little bitey. <laughs> and they're like, oh, don't worry about that. That's that's just, like, uh, an adopted cat thing. Like, it's just because she's here and she's overwhelmed. And it wasn't. Uh-huh. It's not. <laughs> that was a huge fucking lie. She just likes to bite stuff. <laughs> they tricked you. Yeah. This is. We're going to start with season two, episode four. The name of this episode is Spirits from Below. And the narrator's name is Al. This tale, um, it's about a Filipino family that immigrates here, and after a lot of hard work, they buy their first home, and Elle and the other children start having supernatural experiences that are often focused around killing yourself, um, and that's, that's basically... That's basically the brief overview, and we can kind of jump in and, uh, you know, to step by step what happens in it. But yeah, very general haunting this one. Yeah, it's actually kind of um, it's refreshing, right? Refreshing, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Elle and her family is there. It's her sister, her husband, um her nephew and her daughter are there and they're all people that have experienced had experiences with ghosts in this house which that's also a first there's um everyone that is at the intervention is relevant that's the first time that's ever happened yeah um in this show uh and they they kind of mentioned this early on and i just want to bring it up because it comes up later is that they talk about how culturally even though they believe in ghosts, they are taught not to talk about ghosts because the more that you talk about it, it feeds it. So it's like the more you talk about it, there's there's upticks in activity. Um, so that is kind of used as why, even though they're all having these experiences, they never were really talking that much about it. So they, they kind of set that context. Um, or the first paranormal experience that Elle remembers is she's watching TV with her mom and she sees out of the corner of her eye a ghostly older white lady um and she gets scared and her mom says if you don't look at it it won't scare you and she kind of pulls her in um and Elle describes this as like uh the first time and one of the only times that her mom acknowledges that something is happening in the house yeah however <laughs> I love My- that because it, I I thought the exact same thing that she said right afterwards. Where, like, if your parent tells you not to look at the ghost, then that that's not comforting in the slightest. 
No. <laughs> yeah, it made her more scared. Yeah. Um, I also was like, they were watching TV, and I was just like, did her mom see the ghost, or was there like something scary on the TV, and her mom was like, oh, just don't look at it, and it won't scare you. Like, look away from the TV. Like, was that actually about the ghost? That wasn't clarified. <laughs> yeah, or it could have been about anything. Just like looking out like into the darkness because it was a pitch black house. Yeah. Yeah, so it wasn't really... To me, that wasn't evidence that the mom was confirming her beliefs. Um, and also, the mom didn't seem to be looking over there, and they were, like, watching TV. But anyway, that's just kind of the first the first kind of strange thing that happens. Then we pan to the sister, and the sister says, "I, you know, I also had an experience. Um, I would hear laughing in my room. And the reenactment is showing the sister in her room... And she's looking around for the laughing, but she's just kind of like spinning around in a circle in her 10 by 13 room. Like, not really, like, she's not like investigating different like nooks and crannies of the room or like leaving the room to like see if the noise is coming from elsewhere or looking out the window. She's just like looking left, then looking right. Then I'm like, that's not really, <laughs> that's, that's not gonna help. Um, and then she eventually says, that it's coming from the dolls like she has this the uh, probably uh, one of the more terrifying doll collections that we've yeah. seen in the series too um, many she, dolls too many terrifying amount of dolls and she says oh it's coming from the dolls and the doll one of the dolls opens its eyes um what i find odd about this is this is like totally irrelevant later on like it doesn't tie in with the other ghost activity the dolls don't seem they like i don't know it just it's just like an odd odd thing like later on one of the ghosts interacts with one of the dolls um but yeah, it's just coincidental like it yeah, could have not... picked up anything in the room yeah i felt like they were implying the dolls were haunted and that's not what happens later so i think they just needed to check off the oh my god we've done like a whole series and we have not had a haunted doll yet so let's just like jam this <laughs> in here <laughs> this is just meeting a quota <laughs> yeah um so she sees, uh, Elle sees um, an older couple and a little girl at the top of the stairs, uh, and she pees herself because she's so terrified. Um, and this is kind of the first thing that happens where, you know, like she just kind of gets in trouble for peeing herself in the hallway, um, and like her parents just like don't believe her that like it was related to to the ghosts um and the reason that i bring that up is i feel like every time in this episode that the ghosts appear for l it's related to her excusing um behavior so that's yeah. my theory about this this episode is that's that's a theme here we see every time l talks about the ghost it's because she's done something that either you know, is perceived as unacceptable behavior or truly is, you know, like, what the hell are you doing? I'm glad you said it <laughs> because I was I was about to go off like, is this ghosts or is she just accidentally setting fires and stuff? Yeah, so then she befriends the ghost. She says she was a lonely kid. Um, and she befriends the ghost, and they're playing, and they're playing in the sister's room. Um, so not in Elle's room, in her sister's room, which I don't know. 
like I didn't have siblings. You had siblings, so maybe you can speak about this. Um, are you normally allowed to just go in your teenage sibling's room and play jacks on the floor when you're like nine? Like, I don't think that that's a thing that you're allowed to do. Like, I feel like teenagers are normally like, get the heck out of my room. Like, um, yes. so I, fe- I feel like she wasn't supposed to be in there. And that like, to me, like based on what I understand about the dynamic of teenagers and their middle school age siblings, uh, she probably shouldn't. Was not supposed to be playing in there. I was allowed in my older brother's room twice. Uh, once was for him to give me just stuff that he didn't want anymore, and the other time was to smell some really old milk. <laughs> but maybe maybe that's brothers. Maybe sisters are different. Yeah, I mean, I have two little brothers, but we didn't grow up together, so I just have no clue what the room dynamic situation is. Yeah. Um, so anyway, she's playing Jacks in the room, and then the doll, or not the doll, sorry, the ghost girl stands up, and she starts, like, while making direct eye contact with Elle. I love sl- this scene so much. <laughs> slowly knocking things over. And I this scene is, first off, it goes on for a very long time. Yeah, forever. <laughs> secondly oh no go ahead in my in my notes i just have like in all caps the time for jacks is over (laughs) just mid game of jacks she's just like okay i'm done (laughs) just gets up and starts doing the craziest shit ever without breaking eye contact it's not like she gets angry and she throws the jacks and then she starts knocking stuff over it's like she's like calm calculated slow making direct eye contact and kind of knocking things over just in a like very slow kind of like are you gonna let me do this kind of way not like a angry like poltergeist kind of way like it's just very like awkward you're just like oh why don't you say something or just walk away like Elle's like crying like this is terrifying I'm like you're just playing jacks with her why is this more scary she's not doing anything scary (laughs) yeah call out to like your parents or that somebody else anybody yeah this scene is so strange i mean she just like knocks one thing over makes direct eye contact knocks another thing over makes direct eye contact slowly gets up on the bed and like it's clearly portrayed as like it's a little bit of a game for the ghost uh but yeah like i don't know the the dynamic of like the ghost doing this and it being kind of a game and it kind of evolving from them actually literally playing a game and Elle just randomly crying now for no reason like doesn't make sense it doesn't make sense that she was really good friends with this ghost enough to play jacks and then all of a sudden the the ghost like very slowly and calmly knocking a perfume bottle over is like what brings her to tears yeah um, i don't want to try to inject my human logic into a ghost <laughs> but it it's it came off its strange <laughs> And then the ghost picks up the doll, and this is where this is the only place where the doll becomes relevant. She lights the doll on fire. Um, just one note: this ghost seems to. This comes up later in my notes, but this little girl ghost. She seems to have a lot of objects that she finds randomly. Like she has some pockets in this dress, which is very rare. Dresses don't normally have pockets, but this ghost, like, she just randomly has a lighter. Yeah, like, a I'm zippo. Sure, yeah, like I'm sure Elle's sister. I mean, okay, maybe Elle's sister had a zippo because she's like smoking cigarettes or something. But like, it's that's kind of a weird thing for a young girl to have in her room. But you know, so like the implication is like this zippo belongs to the ghost. Yeah, <laughs> it was like a nice zippo too. <laughs> 
she's just like whoosh, like you know like i don't know she likes the fawns or something um so she lights the house on fire and it's it's you know it's really tragic situation for the family because they her they mentioned earlier that her father after they immigrated worked three jobs and really hard to buy them this house so and now yeah. you know par- part of the house is damaged now this is a second time where it seems like the ghost is blamed for like messing up the sister's room and lighting the fire but my question is why would a ghost burn down a house don't they need the house to continue to be ghosts yeah she does not have any motivation like all the motivation okay now i know like talking about ghost motivation is getting into muddy waters but it seems like sure. the, the theme of the what the ghosts are trying to accomplish is they're trying to kill the family members like the like the children ghosts are trying to kill other children and the implication would be to have playmates right uh hmm. that's not mentioned but like it just seems like that's a theme like the children ghosts are always trying to kill other children in the house and they don't really seem to target the adults um it seems very focused on like the children um so it seemed to me like the ghost motivation was to get a playmate not to destroy the thing that allows them to continue to be ghosts (laughs) right there's other and she demonstrates later on that she can kill you in other ways Mm -hmm. why would you destroy the house at the same time it it Uh just doesn't make sense it's a bad ghost it's a, yeah, this is some this ghost sucks. <laughs> Incompetence. <laughs> and when I die and I turn into a ghost, I'll be sure to let her know. Yeah. Um so next we get a story from the nephew. Um so or about it's kind of it's both like from the nephew but also Elle's sort of telling it too because the nephew was supposedly a toddler at the time of this story. So the first thing I know is she says that he was a little bit old, older than a toddler. I think you're a toddler normally around two or three would be like when you would use that phrase. Um, so I'm guessing this kid's probably like three or four. The kid they show is like eight. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, so then he's like playing basketball, which is like not something a toddler would be doing. Also, a toddler should not be outside probably playing alone, period. Yeah. So the whole situation is weird. But anyway, the little girl steals his ball and she lures him to the well and then tries to drown him in the well. Um, and I, again, like even though this isn't L talking about this, it sort of seems like he was a little kid. He was not supposed to be out there alone. He was not supposed to probably be by the well. Mm-hmm. And it's the ghost's fault that he fell in and drowned. Like, like no one's responsible. Like, who was supposed to be watching him? Like, was he breaking the rules and he wasn't supposed to be over in that section? Like, nope, it's the ghost. Like, that, like I don't know. Like, that just seems to be the theme of this whole thing is kids are doing things completely unsupervised or doing <laughs> bad things. And it's always the ghost's fault. I, as I was writing my notes about all this stuff, I was feeling so bad because I'm like, oh, I don't want to be too accusatory about just this general irresponsibility being disguised <laughs> as a ghost. I'm so glad you were on board with this theory. Oh, my God. I'm just like, oh, my God. Like, everything. Like, this is the thing. If they don't describe any experiences with the ghosts, 
that are unrelated other than the very end when the mom describes seeing the ghost they don't describe any experiences where they have a paranormal experience and it's not related to them needing an excuse for something bad they did that's right. that's that's weird about this um so we kind of forward okay so moving on with the story we kind of fast forward she's a teenager now and she's decided that she can never escape the ghost which is strange to me because i'm like you know she also mentions later that she was like hanging outside the house a lot to avoid the ghost so clearly the ghost was very related to the house so Mm -hmm. i don't know why she wasn't just like hey in two years i'll go to college or whatever like but anyway she says like she would never escape the little girl yeah in fact she goes on to say that well i'll let you explain the full thing but she enters into a relationship that seems to lock her into the house more than ever yeah um so the next thing that happens is you know she's in this this distressed state uh and the the ghost comes up to her pulls out of her imaginary ghost pockets a bottle of pills and a glass of water to help her kill herself and my note was like, well, that was nice that she brought the water over and everything. <laughs> she wanted her to dry swallow the pills, yeah. And then I was like laughing at that because this is the thing. If I was going to demonstrate like a ghost suggesting that I take pills, I would show like the pill bottle like rolling out from underneath like, you know, a cabinet or something. Not a ghost walking over with like, here's the pills. And also I got you a glass of water to make it a little bit easier. Like I was just yes. like, What? Here's some applesauce. We'll just grind up the pills and put it in the applesauce. You'll never even know. And then she takes the pills and then the ghost is like, just to be safe, and pulls a razor blade out of her pocket. Like this ghost is like a never ending. Her pocket is just like this never ending magical pocket that just she has every dangerous thing a kid's not supposed to have in it. Like lighters, razor blades, pills. (laughs) Teenage attempted suicide. Not a joking issue. No. Um. To be clear, I'm not making... F- I mean, this is sad. Yeah. And she clearly needed help uh, but, and was in a serious place. But what is I'm laughing about is that the way that they're showing the ghost. Right. Like, suggesting that she does this is so weird and campy. There's, like, ways that they could show that she, f- you know, in this state, she felt that, like, something, something supernatural was pushing her to do this. That is not this, which is the weirdest thing ever. <laughs> Yeah, the the idea that there's a, a child ghost who just carries around a billion different ways to make people kill themselves is kind of why why would they do that? Nope. None of this yeah. makes any sense. Nope, no sense. Um, I do want to give the production team or or the cinematography team a little bit of credit for this scene because. Um, it's, well, it is graphic, but the scene where she's like, they find her, uh, it's shot, it, the shot is amazing. Um, the way it's framed, the way they have the the police lights coming in from the window, which we do get the suggestion of an ambulance or the suggestion of police, which is very odd for this Ooh, show. We don't see true. a police officer, but we get the suggestion. But the lighting, it's, very, it's a very compelling shot even though it's very gruesome so i just wanted to note that they're doing a lot more with like light and framing in this that is is interesting and um even though the writing on the reenactments is ridiculous still the way it is being filmed uh is is kind of cool sometimes so surreal 
<laughs> it's a real low blow to the slaughterhouse for commenting on the the improved lighting <laughs> season. They got light bulbs. Yeah. They splurged. Um, yeah. So then she starts going out. So going back to what you're saying about the the boyfriend, she starts going out for what she describes. She she would be gone for days or weeks. And again, she says that this is because of the ghost, because she doesn't like being home. Mm-hmm. Um, and she ends up meeting her husband. I think his name is Chris. And she uh, gets pregnant at 16. And then they get married at 18 and Chris moves in. I think, well, or no, maybe Chris moves in at 16. I don't know. She just, I just wrote that down because it's very young to get pregnant and married. Um, yes. And it seemed like it happened pretty fast. Um, so, yeah, like you mentioned, she they, they have to move in to the house because they're 16 with a baby. And, you know, basically she, you know, now has, like, gotten herself in a situation where she is kind of trapped at the house because they can't afford to move out right now. Right. And she, she only talks about this as a blessing. She never mentions that due to her own doing she's she's stuck in this hell this was kind of it was it was at this point in the show that i'm like is is there really a ghost or were you just like a really troubled little girl because the ghost didn't make you get a boy or a husband at 16 and then get pregnant yeah it almost seems like she is kind of trying to even blame the teenage pregnancy on a ghost because she says that the you know basically the reason that she got pregnant that she met chris was because she was trying to stay out of the house because of the ghost yeah just so even that is the ghost's fault somehow maybe at the the start when the the mom was like don't look at it and it won't scare you maybe she took that same level of thinking to everything <laughs> Yeah, that don't was look and your daughter won't be pregnant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so they move into the house, and then she says that she starts feeling rage towards Chris all the time. So they kind of set the stage for that. And then, you know, she's kind of talking about her family, her daughter and stuff, and her daughter kind of chimes in to tell her experience. So the daughter has also had a supernatural experience. And the daughter oh, says I like this one. that she would, and the children that would play at the house would always play with this little, the red boy. And that he would dare them to jump off the roof. And they show this little scene of the, the a boy who's dressed in old timey clothes trying to like lure her to the edge of the roof. And then all of a sudden he's down on the ground and he's trying to convince her to jump. Um, and then she says that she realized that the reason that they called him the red boy was that he was covered in blood. Yeah, that was my favorite scene, um, in this episode, just cause, at, cause the scene is that she's playing patty cake with the red boy on the roof. Mm-hmm. Um, and every couple of patty cakes, I don't know what a single patty cake is called. <laughs> um, he'll like step backwards and he'll be like come come and he keeps doing that until he eventually just falls off and then there's like there's a certain amount of seconds that are like perfect comedic timing and they nailed it 
when he falls off and then the little girl is just staring down and there's nothing there and then it gives you just enough time to realize like oh i know exactly what's gonna happen and then he just pops out from the bottom and he's like come come <laughs> and he's just sitting at the top of the fucking thing i i made a note about that too i also thought it was strange that they made this little boy like they did like a little bit of like a like an Oliver Twist thing with him or something. <laughs> like he's weirdly slightly British. Like he's like come come, and it's like that's this is America. Like why is this little boy British? And also in the reenactment, he keeps saying come 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 come. But then when she's telling the story, she's like yeah, he would like dare us to jump, and I'm like that's not like that's I different. Dare, that's different different than what they're showing. <sighs> Um, all right, so let's go back to she's feeling the ra- this rage towards Chris. So, you know, clearly she's having some issues. I mean, it's very normal to have depression after you give birth, um, to be, you know, to have a lot of stuff going on mentally. That's yeah. very normal. But she is having some, un- you know, kind of unprecedented, like, rage issues after she gives birth and she's just basically like they show the the actress um in the reenactment and she's just like gripping her hands all the time and like in just pure rage and she's like looking over at her husband who he's just on the computer like doing stuff and she's like on the bed gripping her her fist like Arr! and then the little ghost girl comes and takes out of her pocket like she doesn't actually but you know <laughs> she hmm. she gets a giant dumbbell it looks about I mean, I have, like, little dumbbells. That one is at least a 10-pound one that they show, 10 or 20 pounds. It's, it's kind of big. Um, and she – it's, like, a little, like, at-home, like, you know, hand weight. And she – but it's, you know, big. And she rolls it right into Elle's hand, and Elle picks it up and smashes her husband across the back of the head with it. And then he somehow is alive and <laughs> right, not unconscious yeah. and, like, you know, wrestles her to the ground – and then it pans to her, like the real Al telling the story, and they say, and she just goes, the little girl made me do it. <laughs> yeah. And then they pan to the sister, and the sister's like, wow, you could have killed him. And then like her face is just like, what the f- fuck? Very, <laughs> very strange, yeah. I cannot imagine what I would be feeling if I was in that same You'd be feeling unconscious, probably. <laughs> no, I mean to be in that room as this woman explains that a ghost tried to make her murder your your dad or your uncle, essentially. On top of that, to to listen to your mom talk about how she a ghost tried to make her murder your dad, and on on top of that, that's weird enough. On top of your dad going, yeah, it was terrible that ghost, <laughs> just. Yeah, he seems pretty calm about the situation for some reason. Yeah, totally, totally up for believing all of this. I guess it was a long time ago, you know, because the daughter looks to be about 20. But still, I mean, the way it's reenact, I don't know if this, you know, the reenactment is faithful. Like, you know, maybe it wasn't a weight. Maybe she hit him with something smaller. But it's not like she, Hmm. like, threw something at him. I mean, the the way that it's shown is, like, if you actually did that, if you actually took a 20-pound weight and hit someone in the back of the head, you you would probably kill them. You could kill them. You would cave you know, their skull in, for sure. She was trying to kill him. 
Yeah. You know? And then the thing that is very strange is the way it's... I'm sure this is not what actually happened, but the way that it is described is that immediately after he wrestles her to the ground, he just kind of, like, puts on a bandage, and they get in the car, and they just move out. Like, immediately. Yeah. And I'm just like, no hospital trip. Like, he just patched himself up, and I was like, all right, we're leaving. Like, we're just going to get a new house now. They they probably did go to the hospital, but the, the reenactment was funny. <laughs> You just um, put some gauze over it. Yeah, <laughs> damn, like just like get damn get, ghost. Get in the car. <laughs> yeah, he's just like putting a band-aid on. Oh, come on, honey, let's get out of here. Um So it ends with she goes back to the house several years later and her mom is close to death. Um she's slipping into dementia and her mom says to her, to Elle, it's too bad they want to get you. And Elle's like, What? And she asks her mom, are they from above or from the bottom? And her mom says, they're from the bottom. Mm -hmm. The reason that I bring this up is because the name of the episode is Spirits from Below. And I can only imagine that the reason that they changed the language from this quote is because Spirits from the Bottom sounds like butt ghosts. (laughs) (laughs) That would have been way better. <laughs> yeah, spirit. They haven't had a butt ghost yet. Why didn't they <laughs> put, put that in? They technically had the butt demon, but. Um, and then, uh, so basically, like she says, like they, you know, they they sell the house, and you know they've sold the house. So this is it. Like we're never going to talk about this again. And her husband's like, "Yeah, the more we talk about it, the more they're like, you know, we're going to invite it in." And they're all just like, "We're never, we're never going to talk about it again." And I'm like, "Hmm, if talking about it again is going to make it worse, what is going to be like, you know, a national broadcast of this story going to do? Like following that logic?" Yeah, and <laughs> it, I just have such a, it's so easy to given that ending just be like oh like the entire time i'm thinking that this is just this this woman's kind of blaming a ghost for all of the the things that she was either upset at herself for doing or wasn't supposed to be doing Mm -hmm. um and very conveniently her mother her dying words are kind of validating the ghost thing and then she gets consensus from everyone in her family to never speak of these things again. Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, I've been making kind of fun, I guess, or like, you know, like drawing these parallels that like, you know, the ghost activity is always related to a child not being supervised properly and doing something that they, you know, one might perceive as like acting out or one might perceive as like, you know, that wouldn't have happened if they had been more supervised or they had been, like, following the rules or, or whatever. Um, it, it's not to say, like, oh, she's a liar. Like, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm, like, trying to say that I think that ghosts are a way that we work through stuff. And this is a really good example of that where the ghost is, like, becomes this coping mechanism for her because i do believe that is a it's a very hard thing probably to cope with that you know if she was a child 
that burned almost burned down her house she probably didn't do it on purpose or didn't understand the ramifications of what she was doing how hard would it be to cope with the idea that you almost hurt your family you destroyed something that your father worked really hard for that's a really hard thing to cope with how hard would it be to cope with you know to to realize that like you tried to take your own life and that you tried to take your husband's life like these are things that I think are would be extremely difficult to cope with and the ghost is kind of coming in as a way for for her to cope with it and be like well it wasn't me it was the ghost and that's not me the serious kind of note around this is like it seems like she has a lot of things that have happened to her in her life that she hasn't taken accountability for and gotten help and like actually moved on in a healthy way that the ghost has just kind of jumped in as this coping mechanism and now we're not like we're never going to talk about it again and i think that's the one thing kind of about the story that's a little bit sad but yeah the reenactment in this is just it's like really wacky (laughs) yeah no i i think that that's a very plausible and uh wonderful explanation for her ghost issues her ghost blaming um is yeah because i think everybody's kind of done that is at some point especially when you're super young you do something that you're not supposed to and then you blame it on either somebody else or an imaginary thing or just a happenstance that could never have happened yeah totally plausible totally and even the nephew and the daughter who are collaborating her story um they are kind of doing the same thing so to me like that could be learned behavior like your parents can pass on unhealthy or your parents and um you know like adult figures in your life can pass on unhealthy coping mechanisms to you so i don't think that my theory of like this ghost being an unhealthy coping mechanism or that's one of the ways that we use ghosts in our culture like i'm not saying like oh this you know l this is just l i'm saying this is one of the ways that we use ghosts as as a culture period yeah um and this is a good example of that um yeah i don't think like i think that that those stories of the nephew and the daughter also play into that as well yeah uh, i I would give those more credibility for like truth if because the, both the nephew and the daughter were extremely young when mm-hmm. those things happened and i'm sure there was a little bit of coaxing from the uh, from the mom to kind of uh strengthen her her own experiences in that that regard yeah potentially or just i mean they're both uh really little and they both are about like almost do things that will kill them and that's a traumatic experience like that's something you know i mean it's probably i mean i'm sure like someone found them and started yelling at them and like that was probably scary but you know as you get older and you realize like i could have died you know you kind of start filling in the blanks of like why would i do that you know, and I mean, I, I mean, I can't count the times I almost killed myself as like a kid or a young teenager because of being stupid. <laughs> Ooh, yeah, countless. <laughs> but, but yeah. Um, so I want to end this like episode summary on a with one more kind of like funny note. So we sh- they show the ghost family multiple times and it's always like this older woman, this kind of tall older man and this little girl like 
kind of a Wednesday Adams looking little girl, but she has a blue dress. And mm-hmm. the 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 red boy, like he shows up in the daughter story, but he's never with the family. Like when they show the family, he's never there. And I'm just like, well, well what's his deal? Do they just not like him? <laughs> yeah, he just happened to die around the same time. Yeah, like he's dressed in the same era clothes. Like he's supposed to be like an old timey ghost. So it's just like, they just don't like that. Like he's just, they're just like, you got to stay out on the roof. Like we don't like, <laughs> yeah. like you suck. <laughs> um, yeah, I also think, um, I'll bring this up more later, but I always feel like, um, you know, ghosts are, it, one of the things that is weird about Haunted and maybe like a lot of ghost shows is that ghosts are always white people. Even, and we learn later, even in Mexico, which I will bring up later in the final season finale. But yeah, yeah. It's, just, it's always like white people. Why are all ghosts white people? I'm glad you brought that up because that was one of my notes is when this started and you saw the first ghost, my first like thought was uh, how funny it would be if there was like a reverse, like a cultural reversal of the ring. Um and it's like a Confederate soldier or something instead of the ring girl. <laughs> They're just being tormented by the history of American racism. Yeah, maybe. Uh, I mean, I think that that would be a great movie. I would watch that. And I also think that, you know, the reason that I started to bring it up is, I mean, it's a question to ponder, you know, like, like it seems like she starts seeing these ghosts when, they, you know, they're really like new to the country maybe yeah i don't know like maybe there is like a meaning behind like why ghosts are always white people in in lore um and i don't know if that's because white people do terrible things and are like cursed to this existence um or if it's because culturally white people have to believe that they're more important and that they're important enough to like live eternally in this way um but yeah i just noted that especially because later on we have a story from a mexican family and all the ghosts are white in that and i'm just like like what they live in mexico for half of this story why are the ghosts white Mm -hmm. Uh, but anyway i just wanted to end on like why does nobody like this little boy even his ghost family (laughs) Yeah, the red boy. Poor him. Yeah. All right, so let's move on to Demon of War, episode five. Do you want to give the summary? Yeah, I didn't think I was going to like this one, but um, it starts out with a Marine telling uh, kind of his his coming into uh, the military where him and his, his father would reenact little battles for playtime. And eventually when... He got old enough, he went and he joined the Marines, and he was deployed to Afghanistan. And he's explaining a few of the the skirmishes that he was in uh, until eventually he is stationed at a graveyard. And then he sees uh, a spooky demon in the graveyard. (laughs) Yep. But, uh... (laughs) I thought this one was going to be, I thought we were going to get set up for another one where it's like, oh, this isn't, this isn't a ghost story. This is, there's nothing supernatural here. It's just a story about the Iraq war or the war in Afghanistan, (laughs) whatever. 
they're about the same thing. Uh, not to get too political. But, um, yeah, do you have any anything to say to start it off? So my first note is how he, he kind of starts out talking about his dad. And this is important for us to understand because it's his motivation for going into the Marines. But he yeah. says... My dad had a huge impact, and then they cut to the reenactment, and it's his dad and him are like he's his dad is like having him play this game where they like throw rocks down a hill, and he's like, "Your enemy is down there, son," and I'm just like, "That's the huge impact <laughs> <laughs> that he was playing this like weird, crazy war game with his son." It's better than the orange game. I'll give him that. <laughs> play throw rocks down the hill at imaginary enemies than uh than the war game i'm doing callbacks tonight that's my thing (laughs) um and he also mentions that the dad was in vietnam his dad was a vietnam war veteran uh he makes it out to kind of be like his dad is this hero that he respects and that he wants to follow in his footsteps but there's a lot of strange things that are said about the dad throughout Mm. this episode um and i the vietnam war vet thing is like one of those things that you know it it just kind of sticks in my mind because uh i think a lot of Vietnam War I mean I can't speak on behalf of veterans of course but we all know that that was a uh, it was brutal for people that were on the ground and his dad was in the army which means he was probably on the ground he probably killed people he probably saw terrible things and it's we the he says that the reason the reason that Rick the narrator joins the marines is because he wanted to top his dad by joining the Marines when he knew that he would go to war in Afghanistan. So he was aware that by joining the Marines, he was going to go to war. Yeah. And that dynamic, like that setup is just so strange to me. Like, I mean, I don't really understand military families, but the dad seems kind of weird. He mentions that like the dad, like never cried and shows no emotion when he's like going off to war. And you know, was, I guess, implicitly, like, proud of him for going to war, but it just seemed like a very strange dynamic that was not addressed, like, you know, that why a Vietnam War veteran who seemed like he had some mental shit going on would want his son to to go to war, and that the son felt like he had to do that to, like, prove himself to his father. Yeah, it's uh, it's not something I know a lot about. Um, yeah. I've got some family members who are in the military, but uh, it's not like a military family or anything. But I, I've seen people like that. It it kind of checks out. I don't think everyone in Vietnam, like, shot babies or anything. Yeah. I think that, those, were, those were some pretty tragic things that happened sparingly throughout. Um, so it may it may have just been that this guy had some of the better experiences in vietnam and wasn't 
Yeah. The be- <laughs> That's like saying, uh, you know, let's watch the best episode of Haunted. Yeah. The, yeah. the better yeah. experience in Vietnam. Very, very accurate example, actually. Um, so he goes to war, and on one of his first days on patrol, his car is attacked, and many... Di- this scene goes on for a long time, and they show, you know, he's disoriented in the fog, there's gunshot, people are dying, people are being blown up, and he runs over, and he's like holding a dying man that's spitting up blood which strangely they don't explain until afterwards that he was close to this guy like as we're watching it happen we're just like who's this guy like are you just sad because he's like a person or are you friends like are we supposed to be emotionally invested in this guy's death like what's happening um but yeah he explains later that five men died in this event and this was kind of the beginning of what would come to be like a very you know, seemingly traumatic experience. He doesn't characterize it that way, but everything that he describes after that is just, like, escalating. So he is in daily battles. He sees a man on fire. and Yes. Can we stop on the man on fire for a second? (laughs) Of course we can. Uh, Because I do have it in my notes. How did he get on fire? That was very unclear. Was he a victim of a bomb situation? Was he was he an American soldier? Was he a, supposed to be a member of the Taliban? It was very confusing what that was representing. Right, because bombs don't do that. Bombs pretty much blow up instantaneously and just explode anything that's there. They don't. They're not going to light something on fire unless they like blow up a, a gasoline tanker or something. But yeah, I I don't know what the what they were trying to say with that. Like, I don't know. Do, does the military use flamethrowers or something? Like, I don't know. I you know the only thing that I can think of is that they were trying to draw some parallel between his experience in the Vietnam War, and in the Vietnam War there was um like they used napalm, which. There's like famous pictures of this. It's very it's very graphic. I would recommend not looking it up unless you are ready to see a child on fire. But um, what basically what napalm would do is it would stick to you, so you would like be on fire, but you couldn't like get it off, kind of. Right. Um, so I I don't think the military uses that now. Um, so that was the only thing I could think of is like maybe they were trying to like draw parallels between, you know, the Vietnam War and this in rick's experience in afghanistan for reenactment purposes i guess that makes sense Mm -hmm. um they did use napalm in vietnam to burn down the forests and there are no forests in afghanistan or not at least in this part so it would be strange if they were using napalm in the desert yeah, no, it just doesn't make any sense. I mean, it's just like the like 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 with the freaking doctor scenes and stuff where you're like, they just said film some war shit, and the person yeah. was just like not had no clue like what actually happened in the Afghanistan, <laughs> like in wars in Afghanistan, and they were just like, I guess fire people. That's a thing I've seen in pictures. Yeah, and that makes total sense. I'm not sure if we've gotten to this part of the reenactments yet, but when he kills a man with his own sword also was like that that doesn't really happen 
Yeah. Yeah, that's what yeah, so they that's the next escalation. So they show the man fall the man on fire and I just want to note that what that happens with the camera work here is they show the man on fire and then they zoom in on the actor that's playing Rick's eye to show like the burning man's reflection is I basically show him getting traumatized. You know, so they mm. they like just drive home like this is a traumatized man. And then that happens. He he wrestles a member of the Taliban and st- kills him with his own li- knife. Uh, yeah, so they spend a lot of time showing how his how things escalated for him. How he goes from like being scared watching a man die to being like deadpan watching a man on fire to to murdering people with his bare hands and self defense. And how he gets in this mentality where it's like. I just need to survive. It's me or them, kind of. So they mm. spend a lot of time setting that up. I don't know why. Uh, do you know why? <laughs> For patriotism. I guess. I mean, the only thing that I can think is, A, this show loves trauma. So if someone has trauma, they have to show it in graphic detail, um, even if it's irrelevant for the, to the story. And the other thing is, like... I that they're trying to show that he's brave and therefore him getting spooked by the ghost is like weird. Like it had to be like a really extreme experience because he's someone that's like murdering people. He's not just like a regular person, you know? I think the show loves filling 40 minutes. (laughs) Um, And they have trouble doing that with the budget that they've got. And that's, that's why we get, a lot of these things that seem like they're going to pay off and just never do. Yeah. So anyway, I mean, I, I'm feeling really bad for this guy at this point, you know, because he's seems like a really nice person who wanted to impress his dad. And then he gets to war and he starts seeing and having to do things that he never thought he would see or have to do. Um, yeah. But then we get to the so the, now this has all been escalating. So this is supposed to be like the worst thing that's happened. Right. Now, let's remember the last scene, he was forced to kill someone in self-defense, right? So, like, and he's clearly shaken afterwards. So, he gets posted in a Taliban cemetery for patrol. Can we stop before the the Taliban cemetery? Uh I want to go back to the the intervention that they're having. Uh Uh-huh. Did you notice how the... There's another Marine there. Never yeah, his sergeant. Ref- never refers to him as his name. He always refers to him as this Marine, which I, I, I think is just, that's just like a Marine thing. Like once you're a Marine, you're, you're always a Marine mm-hmm. kind of deal. But it did make me think that the, the genders that, uh, the Marines acknowledge are man, woman, and Marine. <laughs> Those are the three genders. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, his sergeant always... He, his sergeant spends a lot of time like talking about how this Marine became my second man in command. This Marine, like, I trusted him, you know? Yeah, I do have... <laughs> he... In my notes, I have how he... I was wondering how ghosts were going to fit into this. <laughs> and for a while, I, was, I started getting bored and I just started writing like what I expected. <laughs> and when the sergeant's like, this is 
I knew this Marine could be my right-hand man. He was dependable, uh, he was reliable, he was hardworking. Real shame about how haunted he is. <laughs> so they happened to to uh, to get one really, really haunted recruit. <laughs> okay, so... So they get posted in the Taliban cemetery, and he um, starts hearing stuff, and he can't, he hears stuff, it sounds like someone is around, but he can't, also he's there alone, um, and he can't see, but he can't see anyone. So he calls his sergeant, and his sergeant tells him to go out with a flare, um, and, and, you know, use the flare to see someone, and this... This shot is really cool. Um, it is, yeah. Mm-hmm, yeah, there's fog. He's walking through these gravestones. He has this flare, the light. Everything is really cool in the shot. So he kind of gives up on the flare stuff. He goes back to the little, you know, I don't know what it's called. It kind of To me, it looks like a treehouse, but I'm sure it has like an official military name. <laughs> like a guard tower. Yeah, and he goes like back to it. And the, the demon is the spooky, scary Halloween demon is there. And it grabs him, and he is, like, frozen. He can't blink his eyes. He's terrified. Um, Finally, the demon just decides to let him go. Yeah. Uh, In my notes, they never explain how these encounters end. (laughs) It just, like, growls at him and then just kind of saunters off, like... (laughs) Like, oh, sorry, I thought you were my friend. I was just fucking around. <laughs> yeah. Um, I also so- want to say, generally speaking, about the graveyard thing, if yeah. I was in the the military and they stationed me in front of a spooky Taliban graveyard, my first thought would be like, oh, shit, do they come back? Like, what? Why am I doing this? <laughs> <laughs> like, it's like to kill zombies? Yeah, like t- terrorist zombies? What the fuck? No, no. What are you guys worried about? They're oh already god. dead. Oh my god, do you think that's a movie? I'm for sure it is. Oh my god, it's probably so bad. Well, it's probably still too soon to do Taliban zombies. Um, I know we've got tons of Nazi zombies, so it's only a matter of time. Yeah. <laughs> Rick, oh my gosh, what if... See, why didn't they... They had demons. Why didn't they do a zombie episode? They never did a zombie episode. This could have been it. This could have been their moment. Did they even do, like, somebody specific coming back from the dead? No. It was always just some pioneer person or something or a demon. Yeah, I don't think that they have any ghosts in this show that are, like, ghosts that people knew personally. Do they? Yeah. Yeah. No. It's all, no. Yeah. You did. You did at least expect like, oh, somebody I know died, and then they they came back to me to fight the other ghost or something. <laughs> that kind of trope. Well, I mean, I think it feeds into my theory that like the the way that ghosts work in this show um, and somewhat culturally are like they're not people that died. They're like a tool for people to work shit out. Yeah. Um, because I do think you're correct on that. Because everybody in the show has seen something, has had something terrible happen to them, and most of them has seen people die, and those ghosts never show up. 
so yeah yeah like that very first episode what happened to the ghost of the guy who got murdered in broad daylight yeah what happened to oh no no wait i remember um the children in the well the mom ghost the mom came back remember oh that's right yeah because she talked to her son she, yeah and she and talked told to the them chaplain. that he had psychic powers yeah <laughs> okay all right so we're wrong about that um yeah we do have one technical zombie through spirit okay uh so demon inexplicable demon's like oh, oh got the wrong guy and just like saunters off <laughs> maybe it was like a spider situation where they scared each other <laughs> <laughs> like the demon the the demon of war is just as afraid of you as you are of it <laughs> to his sergeant and he's like tells him immediately and and the sergeant's like i had never heard a a marine tell me a story like this and his mom's like the mom you know at the intervention is like did you ever have a doubt and the sergeant goes no never yeah like 100 percent believed rick's story and i have this in my notes uh I have no doubt that there is a literal demon in Afghanistan, and this is an official opinion of the United States Marines <laughs> that demons are real. <laughs> you can't, as a sergeant in the Marines, just go around saying shit like that. Maybe they're having trouble with recruitment, and they're trying to like get all the people that are into <laughs> ghost hunting to join the army. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, no, it's... I was trying to think about like what would be like logical reasons why his sergeant would believe him if he had never heard a story like this before. Um, and he says that, you know, he trusted him. You know, they had worked closely. He, be- you know, believed him to be like sane and trustworthy. Um, mm-hmm. But the only thing that I could think is that um, it had something, it might have something to do with Rick being able to serve again. Like, he has to, like, not tell him that, say that he's crazy so that he doesn't get in trouble or something. Because it is his job, so. Yeah, that's that's a good point, that there's some kind of rule that they have to, that this is a loophole through. Yeah, so that's the only thing I can think about, like, other than the sergeant just honestly trusts him so much that he believes anything that he says, is that he is at, he is questioning it, like, he does have doubts, but he can't say that because it would, like, affect Rick's career yeah um so he comes home and he hugs his dad and this is like a really sad part because he says finally that missing piece was there like he was able to finally connect with his dad because he had also been to war and that just Mm -hmm. seemed like such a sad thing kind of like i don't know i mean i don't know what it's like to be in a military family i don't know what it's like to have a parent that served in Vietnam, but it just seemed like such a sad story that Rick felt that he had to go to war. He had to experience all this trauma to be able to connect with his father. And that's why he did it was to connect with his father. Um, It's sad. It's upsetting. Um, Mm. I tend to think that, uh, those relationships are, are kind of more complicated, but I, yeah. I don't have any kids, so I wouldn't know. 
Yeah, it's just the way it's... I mean, who knows what their relationship was really like. I'm just talking about what's portrayed on the show. Yeah. Um, so the other thing that was odd here was they say that his dad died a couple of weeks before the filming of this. Right. And Which might also explain why a lot of the story is focused on his relationship with his father. So, like, an alternative, you know, uh, viewpoint might be... This really wasn't about his dad, but he was kind of making it about his dad because his dad died three weeks ago. Um, I can see that. Yeah. Um, so anyway, he decides that after his dad dies that he's going to redeploy. Um, and then he's like in some kind of place. I don't, I don't know, like some kind of place before you go. Like he's at some military base before you go to Afghanistan. And... He wakes up with the demon on his chest. Uh, yeah. And he says that he felt like this was the demon saying, like, don't, like, go to Afghanistan. Yeah. It it screams at him. And then, I suppose, just walks away again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was kind of like, so I'm guessing what happened was he pulled out. I don't know if you're allowed to do that. Uh, like, maybe... But it seemed like he ended up not going. And because of the demon and that the demon was telling him, like, you're not welcome in Afghanistan. And I was kind of like, do you, you needed a demon to tell you that? Like, I don't I don't think that they're pumped to have you <laughs> either. Yeah, the, the IEDs and the insurgents should have been <laughs> a hint enough. A sign. But, um, yeah. Um, and then they kind of panned to his wife and... I think what's interesting here is like I be- it seems like she does not believe any of this and but she is also <sighs> extremely concerned. So yeah. she says this terrifies me and I'm like scared for you because I don't want this to happen to you again. Uh, yeah. Like it seems like she, you know, she's concerned that something is she's concerned about her husband's well-being, his health his mental health like she doesn't want him to you know keep experiences but she also just seems also scared <laughs> yeah i assumed she was because the way they make it sound after the he tells the entire story is that she's talking about the demon i think she might just be talking about like i don't want you to go to afghanistan and have to kill another guy with a sword yeah that could be it too yeah, like she that, that that could have been taken out of context, which is basically it could just be her being like, you know, I don't want you to like you have some PTSD. I don't want you to go back and get worse. Yeah. You know, yeah. Eh. Anyway, they end the episode with like, oh, if the demon does come back, it'll come back with a vengeance. Yep. yep. <laughs> <laughs> and. Uh, I put in my notes, I think the demon was just a sick camel. <laughs> it just wandered into the graveyard and spooked the hell out of him. And now now he, the rest of it is just like him having nightmares. He doesn't know that they're nightmares. Yeah, I was wondering like if it was probably some kind of animal. Um, yeah, I mean, they got tons of crazy animals over there. I mean, I don't know, but it does seem likely that if you're in a graveyard at night at 3 a.m. and you just kill, had to kill someone the other day 
an animal might spook you. <laughs> yeah, some kind of big dog. Them. Yeah. <sighs> Do you have anything else about this one? Uh, my only other note that we didn't get to is how the Taliban make really cool poses before they attack people. Mm. Um, that first attack, they're all, they look like, you're not going to understand this reference, but they look like the Ginyu Force from Dragon Ball Z, just on top of the, uh, the hill. Okay. Yeah. You're going to, you're going to have to take it my word for it that that, <laughs> that joke is hilarious because I know <laughs> you've never watched Dragon Ball Z before. <laughs> Yeah, you're right. They are kind of like flexing on them in the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> That's, I, I denounce the Taliban, by the way, just to be clear. <laughs> I don't think the Taliban are cool. I think the poses they made, they think they made them look cool. Yeah, yeah. I understand what you're saying. All right. Um, so should we move on to the last episode? And... I don't, this is the series finale, I believe, because they have not done another season and it's been two years, but it does not yeah. seem like they knew it was the series finale when it was filmed because there's nothing particularly special about it. Other than that, we finally get a, a clown. They needed, <laughs> they, needed, they needed that trope. They had to fill their, their quota. That is true. Um, so uh, this is I have the least amount of notes on this one, and one of them is about how my Uber Eats driver fucked up my order and how pissed off I am about it. <laughs> this was not a spectacular episode. <laughs> um, so episode six, Born Cursed. In this one, Oscar is a storyteller, and he talks about um, how he saw in an alleyway when he was young a butcher figure and that this evil energy butcher ghost continued to haunt him um for for a long time until he died and then was came back um which we can talk more about that logic um and that um yeah basically he his brothers have some experience experiences with it and then also now his children um may have some experiences maybe having some experiences with it so the first thing i want to talk about is he says that he was born in mexico and that in mexican culture um, or in his family's dynamic they believed in brujas they believed in witchcraft and one Mm -hmm. of the you know there's dark there's black uh witchcraft and white witchcraft which is basically like you know witchcraft for good and witchcraft for evil and that his mother believed in you know witchcraft for good and that she had a cleansing done when she was pregnant um you know it sounds like it's you know like a ritual to ensure like a healthy birth or you know whatever but what they show in the reenactment is this was made me angry first off (laughs) they show a satanic ritual where she's like lying in a white like virginal robe with a pentagram drawn on her pregnant belly in this like dungeon with candles in the middle of a giant pentagram and like figures are like cutting uh like cracking a chicken's neck and pouring the blood all over her and uh it's like the satanic ritual and it's also 
super racist, I feel like, because, (laughs) (laughs) like, first off, he doesn't sit. He just says, oh, she got a cleansing. And then they decided this is what a Mexican bruja cleansing ritual looks like. And it's just like, it was like, I was angry about it. I was like, first off, this is definitely not what white witchcraft would look like. And it's kind of racist to be like, oh, yeah, this is just like what pregnant ladies in Mexico do, like pentagrams and blood all over them. Like, Jesus fucking Christ, like, fuck this show. (laughs) I'm not that attached to witchcraft, so I didn't I didn't care as much. It's not like that I'm mad that that's not what witchcraft would manifest like. I'm mad that like this is a spiritual belief of a people and they're showing it like it's this haunted house graphic satanic horror ritual where you're like murdering animals over pregnant ladies like you know like uh, i don't know i just feel like it's i just feel like it's racist i mean if he said i was baptized in the catholic church do you think that they would show this (laughs) that would be really good (laughs) They just were like, this is what a baptism is, right? I don't know. It's, just, it's, a, it's a dark room, a candlelit room, and they dip him in blood. <laughs> oh, my God. That would be so fucking good. Oh, when we but, do our ghost show, we'll do, we'll do that. They, <laughs> we should do a ghost show where people tell these really mundane, like, barely hauntings. And we just embellish the fuck <laughs> out of all of the reenactments. Okay. Yeah, we got to get sponsored for that. But yeah, I think we could do some f- fantastic writing. Oh, my God. That would be so fucking good. <laughs> oh. So he talks a little bit about... So kind of on this topic of, you know, spirituality and like beliefs, he says that he was born with a call, which is... yes. Uh, you know, being born with uh, like a thin layer of a uh, placenta sack over your face or you're completely in the sack. And yeah, I did. I looked it up and I found this quote that I really liked. Uh, an end call birth is when the baby comes out still inside an intact amniotic sack. Mm-hmm. This might make it look like your newborn is completely gift wrapped in a soft jello like bubble, <laughs> which is exactly as weird as you'd expect them to put it. On a pregnancy block. <laughs> They're not like, it's really horrifying. It's looking, looks like you're having an alien egg come out of you. They're like, it's like, it's a gift wrap. Yeah. It's, it's not cute. Straight from heaven. It's not a cute thing. <laughs> God sneezed. And those are his, his cute little boogers all over your child. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, guys, <laughs> you were on today. You were killing me. Um, so... The gra- his grandmother says that it's a, I, I might be saying this word wrong, but she calls it a dawn, which means that it's a gift from God. And he says, but it could also be interpreted as a curse. I just want to talk a little bit about like the call culturally, um, because I do mm-hmm. think this is kind of like a little interesting thing. So only one in 80,000 children are born with one. So it is a very rare thing. And in yeah. a, in, um, historically, like, it, you know, it, is often interpreted as a sign of luck and even like the skin would be or the sack would be like saved and dried and be like for luck like you could sell that it would be like a lucky charm um, yeah so you can get back in whenever you want yeah not not yep <laughs> no no not not like a sleeping bag not like the cereal i think just like 
something. Ooh, it would be cool if when you died, they they put you back in. Into your into your ambiotic sac. Yeah. No. no. It was like a cyclical thing. Um. And then one thing I noted though is that in Roman myth, uh, uh, Romanian mythology, it's um, said that p- people that are born with a call come back as troubled spirits. And there's also like a connotation that they they're like kind of like zombies, but it's like zombie ghosts. So we do get some zombie lore <laughs> in oh, Haunted. Um, nice. And also just to note that like so that's kind of like historically, but then also in like culturally, like in literature. It's often um, having a call is attributed to being able like to see ghosts or being able to be clairvoyant or being able to be a medium. So like, for example, in the book, The Shining, Danny, who's a little kid that sees many of the ghosts, uh, he's born with a call. And it's that's what his second sight is attributed to in Amityville. The book Amityville Horror, the medium is born with a call. And that's what she attributes her ability to speak to ghosts to. So there is a. They kind of uh, talk about this, like, as a curse. Uh, And there is, like, a lot of lore around the call being uh, either being lucky or being giving you the ability to to talk to ghosts. So that is like a like a thing. I don't know. I just thought that was that was interesting. Like he's he isn't just attributing. He's not just saying this. This is something that is like a, you know, widespread culturally across the world belief that the call is either lucky or it can uh have like a bad kind of like a like a supernatural connotation yeah no that's uh that is cool and it's especially cool considering how every other episode started out with some kind of weird non sequitur about their childhood and this one actually like has something to do with like the cultural significance of that birth yeah yeah it's just not i mean i guess um, he didn't have any random, you know, people murdered in front of him as a child or anything. So this is what they decided to talk about. But it's actually cool. I'm glad that they ch- decided to talk about it and that they brought it up because it is it is interesting. And it's in, like, the Grimm's fairy tales. Like, I, I knew what a call was since I was a little girl because my mom would, like, read those to me. Um, hmm. Yeah. So it's it's in a lot of stuff. Sigmund Freud was born with one. Just a little hmm. fact there. Yeah, but... Anyway, let's get I back. I had no idea. Very cool. Yeah. So anyway, back into the story. He's a little kid. Now, this is unclear to me. When So he, he wanders into an alley. He He's supposed to be home. I guess he was left home alone, and he decides, oh, fuck that. So he's just, like, mm-hmm. walking around the streets, and he wanders into an alleyway, and he sees this, like, butcher dude, like, this creepy butcher, butcher dude. Um... And the guy says, you can see me. And, you know, he's totally freaked out. Oscar is totally freaked out. And then his mom comes and grabs him and yells at him for, for not being in the house. Now, what calls was... Calls him an asshole, specifically. Calls him an, <laughs> an asshole, yeah. What's unclear to me is that the way that the set is portrayed in this scene is it looks like they are... It looks like they're supposed to be in Mexico and yeah it does seem like they at some point between when oscar was born and later on in the story they had moved to america because he mentions that they go back to mexico for this parade on vacation so i thought when i was watching this part that they're in mexico um 
potentially they weren't, but it they, it was implied that they were in the in the reenactment. And what I wrote here was why would a Mexican ghost butcher be white and also speak in English? Yeah. Not- I was also confused by this because i i saw the same thing you did they did say that they moved to dallas at some point yeah that that's not what dallas looks like like what they were showing yeah no very much not dallas yeah so people in mexico like they can have light skin like you know they can have light eyes like of course like people that are born there um but i just felt like this was not that that was not what was i was reading here like this is just some the other thing that was upsetting to me about this a little bit is we haven't really talked about this yet with this show um but i hate it when they show ghosts or monsters as having a disability and that's like what is supposed to make them scary because oscar does not describe this he describes the ghost as having a creepy smile which which they show but this man looks like he, I, for, I, I don't know what it's called, but it's the same, it looks like the same thing that the uh, quote unquote giant in Big Fish has, where, you know, he has like something going on with his height and the way that his like bones are formed and his head's kind of to the side. Like it looked like they were mimicking that actor. Do you know who I'm talking about? No, but I, I think Jaws from James Bond had the same thing. Yeah, so it's like, it, it you know, it's a, a a disability uh and it can like lead to early death and stuff i think um but i I just hate it when shows do that because it it just makes it makes having a disability taboo it makes people think that people with disabilities are scary or evil or you know just kind of it can just kind of get into your brain and subconsciously make you you know react a kind of way and i just i just hate that they did that that was upsetting to me like they could have just had a dude covered in blood with a creepy smile that would have been fine like they didn't have to make it you know like like i don't know if the guy actually has this disability or if they just like instructed the actor to you know contort his body to make it look like he does um Mm. but either way it was just kind of like eh, i hate it when they do stuff like that um, no, I was just looking at his all the CGI that they put on his face to make him have that big creepy smile. Yeah, that was um, unenjoyable to say the least. Um, but yeah, that was why I was bringing up white ghosts before because I was like, "Yep, all ghosts are white, even in Mexico." Yeah. <laughs> um, well, um, we we I I I'm assuming that he is Mexican and he's just light skinned, and we'll never know about the clown. <laughs> so he tells his mom his mom says to ignore it second mom that's just like yeah yeah just don't look at it <laughs> moms <laughs> um, i do want to say one thing about their i do like the little intro that they have because i find daytime ghosts way creepier than nighttime ghosts yeah there's something so much spookier about like being in broad daylight and having like good vision to see just something creepy in a dark corner or a hallway or something. Mm-hmm. Nighttime ghosts are too predictable for me. I mean, let's also like rewind to like, there's nothing about this guy other than that he has like a CGI smile that suggests that like he's a ghost, right? Like the the kid is like in an alley. There's clearly another actor that is supposed to be portraying someone who is like on drugs. 
right yeah. and <laughs> i like how he's just chilling out in the back yeah he's just like but it's like you know he it's there's nothing about it that implies that this is a supernatural experience like i mean it's weird he has knives but like this is a little kid seeing this like it could have just been like a homeless person that was looking kind of rough somebody that was on drugs and was acting a little weird like or just a creepy butcher just a creepy butcher that was just you know having a cigarette outside of his butcher shop and you know made, he smiled. crawled out of a hole in his butcher shop and <laughs> had a smoke break you know you know when you know your little doggy door at your butcher yeah. shop yeah, but I don't know. Like, that's just one thing to note is that, like, yes, the daytime ghost thing is cool, but was it a ghost? It just, like, he was in an alleyway with other, you know, people doing drugs and doing weird shit. Like, yeah, he did immediately start screaming, you can see me, uh, <laughs> and nobody else reacted. But that could have just been because they were on drugs. <laughs> So the next thing I have is the go is the clowns. Do you have anything before that? No. Okay, so they go back to Mexico for a vacation and they go to a parade and him and his brother and his cousin witness clowns that have been run over by a car. You know, these men are dead on the ground. Like the kids are staring at them and the clown has does like the evil CGI smile and you know, Rick says Oh, it was the same energy as, like, the butcher ghost. Yes. And my note about the clowns is I had constructed this entire story <laughs> okay. <laughs> about how the clowns, they got hit by the car and they were all next to death. And that one clown looked up and saw a group of children being traumatized at his own death. And he thought he'd be the greatest clown ever. And just give them one more smile to know that everything was all right. And that it was just a big joke. And just ended up traumatizing the shit out of the children. <laughs> yeah, or like maybe he was frowning, but it was upside down and he just misinterpreted it. <laughs> my my headcanon was that he was trying to put on one big last smile to as a show of bravery yeah, to the children. Like he was just like, it's going to be okay, kids. And the kids were just like, traumatized for life, traumatized yeah. for life. You made that made it way worse. <laughs> um, and his brother is there, um, and he, you know, validates that this was a really traumatic experience. He says it was a tra it traumatized me. It would traumatize me. Yeah. Um, he actually the brother says those words, and so then they they go to his grandfather's house, which is nearby. They're like staying there on their vacation, and the. The Rick describes that they see the clown. They're walking down the stairs and they see the clown in the living room. And then the clown starts chasing them and they run upstairs into the bedroom and lock the door and they're screaming. And their grandfather hears the screams and their super badass looking grandfather like grabs his like shotgun and is like, you know, investigating and then the clown just runs away the, they show the grandfather seeing the clown the clown being like oh hey and then he just like runs away and then goes outside and kills their dog yeah he just on his way out <laughs> takes one for the road um and that they say specifically that he snapped the dog's neck and 
Um, what I'm confused about here is like they show the brother saying that it was traumatizing that they saw the clown, but neither the brother or the cousin agree that like this happened. Yeah, I thought it got kind of muddled for me because mm-hmm. uh, this is where my Uber Eats driver fucked up my order. But <laughs> um... <laughs> you're like, I was so hangry that I kind of like stopped paying attention. <laughs> it, yeah, it got a little foggy in the middle. Um, but they do say, I remember one guy saying distinctly, I saw it too. And I don't know if that was the clown smiling after he died or if that was the clown chasing them through the house. I think he was just saying he saw the clowns get hit by the car. Oh. I don't think that the brother or the cousin who are supposedly a big part of the story validate any of the supernatural stuff. That's strange. Yeah. Um... I mean, it really, the vibe is that they're just like, dude, like, yeah, it was traumatizing seeing the clown, but like, that's, you know, that there's, there's not ghosts. <laughs> yeah. Um, that clown's very dead. We all know for sure. Uh, so the next thing I have is that, you know, he starts talking about how it's like escalating. He's waking up with bruises and he sees the butcher ghost clown's gone i guess now um they're back in america yeah he got bored yeah for some reason the butcher ghost followed them to mexico inhabited a clown body and then when they got back to america he was just the butcher again that that was all kind of unclear because he says it was like the same energy and it it followed him but i was like but what (laughs) oh that makes more sense i i i thought it was two different ghosts but if it's the same ghost just in a clown body that makes more sense yeah or he just like put on this clown costume yeah put, put his makeup on um so he sees the butcher ghost stroking his brother's hair in bed and saying that he says i'll take your brother so rick or sorry oscar decides that the only thing that he can do to prevent the ghost from taking his brother is killing himself so he takes uh he drinks a ton of cough syrup and knowing this time period uh he definitely was getting the good stuff they hadn't like put that behind (laughs) behind the shelf yet (laughs) so he he starts robo tripping his fucking ass off and dreaming and he dreams that he is like in this like elaborate butcher's like slaughterhouse torture chamber thing with the butcher guy there like sharpening his knife and smiling at him and he says that he like went to hell Um, yeah and then his uh he wakes up and he's in his bed and his mom and his brother are there and he says that his brother found him convulsing and went and got his mom and his mom prayed for hours until he woke up girl mom just broke a chicken's neck over you (laughs) yeah no doctor just find your son convulsing and just pray just just pray um and that after that day it stopped so this is the second time that this show has suggested that killing yourself is the answer (laughs) Or dying is the answer. Yeah, the old near-death technicality. Well, yeah, like, so this is the second time where dying has made the ghost go away. 
second time in these two episodes that we watched where it suggests that killing your or no not even the second time like multiple times has this show suggested that killing yourself is the answer um yes they do tell you to kill yourself a lot yeah and sometimes it works sometimes the ghosts stop um and sometimes it doesn't work yeah and i just think that that's something about i mean there's so many things about this show that like i was telling someone about this podcast and what we were watching first and they were like oh i'll have to watch it so i know what you're talking about i was like if you're going to like all of the trigger warnings because this show does everything wrong it has all like every trigger warning this show should have it on there yeah um and yeah they're really irresponsible about the way that they they cope with with suicide they suicide they have so many people on the show that either tried to commit suicide express that they want to commit suicide and it's just like not addressed responsibly at all it's um it's disturbing and it also makes you wonder like it kind of draws a correlation between extreme mental health distress and ghosts um that makes the show you know again it makes the all the spooky halloween stuff so inappropriate because you know there's this kind of they're kind of showing how ghosts are a way that people are coping with like really extreme mental health issues and also how ghosts come to stand in to kind of represent them being tortured mentally like the way that one might be tortured by mental health issues like being driven to want to kill themselves so ghosts kind of play this role you know of of standing in for like what mental health how mental health issues can escalate or like how ghosts can be used as a coping mechanism and then it's just like they don't really explain this or connect the dots or like help you read between the lines they just are like they just have people say they're gonna kill themselves and then there's like spooky halloween ghosts and you're like oh my god i can't please the show (laughs) yeah not only do they treat it casually uh, they're almost romanticizing these kind of activities. Yeah, like, like this is a they normal. They think that you should be, you should be blaming everything on a ghost. When you try to attack your husband, beat him in the head with a, a dumbbell, a ghost made you do it. I think that, well, yeah, romanticizing is a perfect word for this show because... I think one of the reasons why they show all this trauma and they don't tie it in, they don't explain it, is that they're trying to set up a precedent that this haunting is, like, worse than... Like, the haunting is the worst thing that ever happened to the person. Like, that's how scary it is. Um, You know, that it's worse than these, like, real traumas, these real things that are actually going to haunt people for the rest of their lives, that they're actually going to probably have to work through in years of therapy. And then they romanticize that the solution to these ghosts, which are probably, you know, metaphors and manifestations of their mental health issues that were caused by all this trauma, is to kill yourself. And it's just, it's so upsetting. It's so irresponsible to the audience. It's disrespectful to the storytellers because it does not uh, respect their story and, like, it, it's just i don't know like any other show you watch that has suicide in it can, i mean this is 2019 this is not like an old show 
any yeah. other show you watch that has suicide in it, there's going to be like a little thing that's like, hey, this episode addresses suicide. And then at the end, they normally put like the suicide hotline. And that's like the bare fucking minimum. You know, even that's you're just like, like, that doesn't make it OK the way that you showed this. But like this show doesn't even do the bare fucking minimum of being responsible about this stuff. It's just so upsetting. Yeah. I think you nailed it. Yeah. So that's my that's my summary. I mean, do you have I mean, this is the last season, this last season, last episode. Any other thoughts just like summing up this experience that we just went through for the last month? <laughs> uh, ghosts aren't real. <laughs> yeah, I think my my theory on ghosts. Um, I've never had a par- paranormal experience. Uh but I'm not in the ghosts aren't real camp. I think what I believe is that ghosts are not dead people, but they're like ways, like we create ghosts. Like it's, uh, you know, it's like a way, like it's a way that we cope with things. It's like a manifestation of our feelings. Mm. Um, and maybe, you know, that can be interpreted as like, it's a storytelling coping mechanism that can be interpreted as like, there's you know things that we don't understand about the like our, the mind is a powerful thing and maybe we actually can like create things somehow. hallucinations basically yeah like like i don't know like i don't believe that like when you die you can become a ghost i don't think because i don't i've never had any experiences that suggest that um but I, it wouldn't make a lot of sense but i think that you know ghosts are people are haunted and ghosts are a, a, a way to, to talk about that. And I'm also, like, of the camp of, like, one of the reasons why I probably have never had a paranormal experience is because I try very hard to avoid them. I'm not in a fucking freaking slaughterhouse with a goddamn, like, black box trying to talk to ghosts. Like, I'm like, please no ghosts. No, 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 no ghosts here. Like, I don't want to see a ghost. Like, ghosts sound scary. So that could be, an, you know, I'm there's a lot of things that we don't understand about the world and the universe and stuff. So like if if the way that people think that ghosts are like that, they're dead people walking around is is real. I mean, it could be real and I could just not know about it because I'm trying really hard everything I can to not know about it. But my personal belief when it comes to being haunted is that it's more of like a spiritual, metaphorical, mental thing. Um, yeah, the more I hear you talk about it, the more I'm like, yeah, there's, there's some people are seeing something. They're it's not a fucking ghost. It's not a, a bundle of ectoplasm. Yeah. Yeah, and I think what I am interested. I mean, I think one of the things that I enjoy about talking to you about this every week is a. It is so fun to make fun of the producers of this show. It is so fun because. <laughs> They make such strange choices, but it's also thinking through like, what what are ghosts like? What is the common thread in all these shows? Like, what what is the ghost there for? What is it doing? Why why do we want to watch a show like this? Why does this show exist? Like, why are there hundreds of paranormal investigation shows? Why is it so important to people that there is something beyond death? Um, why do people want to be scared by what is beyond death? Um, yeah, it's just, those are the kind of questions that I'm out, 
you know, out, that's like the serious side of this for me is like exploring that. And then the other side, it's like 90% making fun of the producers of these shows and like 10% <laughs> these like lifelong questions that I will be asking for the rest, rest of my existence. <laughs> I was going to say, while watching this, I too thought, why am I watching this? <laughs> I, I too thought, wow, I must be very good friends with this person that is making me watch this. <laughs> this this is love. <laughs> this is what I get for being friends for 17 years. Yeah, it was, <laughs> it was less, of, shit. <laughs> less of philosophical, like metaphysical question and more of just a, a personal depression question. Why did I agree to this? Yeah, just kind of coming to terms with everybody. You're just like Googling how to say no to your friends. <laughs> yeah. to, maybe a ghost can tell me to say no. Uh. <sighs> so we're done with this with this one. So we have to start thinking about what we're going to watch next. Yeah, I really wanted to make you watch Paranormal State because there's one specific episode of paranormal state that is my absolute favorite we should watch that then let's do it send me that stuff and i'll figure out how to watch it well let me figure out what season it there's only five seasons let me oh yep there it is lady vampire yep (laughs) season three okay so let's watch lady vampire and then i guess another episode in season three because we will have paid for that one Sorry, what's the name of the show? Paranormal State. Paranormal State. They all have like the same freaking name. Okay. Yeah, Paranormal State's called that because it's a, it was a group from Pennsylvania State College. Oh. And I think this is a goldmine because the, the fucking guy who runs this, complete tool. Just the fucking worst dude you've ever met. Yeah, uh, in 2012, Buell claimed that he is diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, and then in late 2013, uh, he told everybody that he was near remission. Um, and then later on, his mom denied that he was at, he ever had cancer. He just thought that people would like him more if he had cancer. Are you serious? Yeah. No, this dude's a total fucking scumbag. That's why I want to make fun of him. Oh my god, and it's from 2009. Okay, some of these episodes sound pretty pretty good. Um they help okay, Oh my god, they have Lorraine Lorraine Warren on the show. Like mm-hmm. like the conjuring lady. Yeah. Oh my god. Mm-hmm. I just want to read you uh the lady vampire one and <laughs> spoil something real quick for you. Okay. Uh PRS, I I'm assuming that's paranormal state and they just don't know how Abbreviation for <laughs> uh, investigates a case in Kyle, Texas, involving single mom Dawn and her five-year-old daughter Lola, both tormented by the appearance of a hag they call Lady Vampire. Hag? That uh, seems rude. Let me just spoil it for you. They don't call it that. <laughs> Paranormal State calls it that. Out of nowhere, based on nothing. Oh, man. Okay, so we'll watch Vampire Lady, The Raven, and Dead and Back for next week. I'm excited. This looks good. 2009. 
2009 paranormal state it's gonna be a trip mm-hmm. i'm ready all right let me stop recording i don't know why i recorded that whole part of the conversation oh yeah <laughs> good point